Let's read from God's holy word. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, and they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. We are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our, the years of our life are 70, if even by reason of strength they're 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the pattern? Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and to your glorious power and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You can be seated. I warned Sandra, I said, I'm, I'm asking you to read a long psalm. Is that okay? And she was very... Very kind to oblige. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your faithfulness that we just sung of. God, thank you that morning by morning you continue to give us new mercies. God, we, we confess, we admit that apart from those new mercies, um, we wouldn't be able to get out of bed. We wouldn't be able to do anything. God, you have proven yourself faithful, generous. You have proven yourself um, kind and gracious. God, you've given us far more than we could ever ask for or imagine. God, thank you for um, the reality of who you are, that you are eternal, that there's never been a time before you, never will be a time after you. You are the most real being imaginable, far beyond what we could imagine. You are reality itself. And so, God, we, we thank you. We stand on you and you alone today, and we rest in your promises, and we especially are grateful for the promise of your presence with us, even now. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I don't know if you've noticed this, but time does not always seem to pass at the same rate, right? Like, we know logically that there's always just 60 minutes in an hour, there's always 24 hours in a day. But I could swear some hours are longer than others, aren't they? Some days are shorter than others. I know the sun, you know, and the earth and the spinning, all these orbit things. But, but if you just had to go on what it feels like, it just doesn't feel like time always goes at the same pace all the time. Sometimes it seems a lot longer than others, like Friday afternoons, if you're trying to get to the weekend. 
it just seems like between 1 p.m. on Friday and 5 p.m. on Friday, there's got to be at least eight hours because it can just take so long sometimes to get to the weekend. For kids, it seems like the last two weeks before summer vacation is at least an eight-week period of time as they're waiting for the summer to get here. If you're waiting for a vacation or a wedding or test results or a surgery to end or anything else that you want to pass quickly, you stare at the minute hand or the hour hand on the clock and it's like a, a boiling pot of water or like a pot of water. If you stare at it, it doesn't boil, but stare at those minute hands and they just don't move. You're asking them to move and for some reason time has stopped when you need it to go. At the risk of sounding like an old man, uh, the older I get, I actually feel like more often I have the opposite problem, is that time moves too fast. You feel like you want the minute hand to slow down, and it just keeps speeding up and speeding up and speeding up. The more responsibilities we take on, the more things we have to get done, you just you look at your list and you're just confident you can make it through by the end of the day, and you're like, there's just no way there was 24 hours in that day because I didn't get half the list done that I thought it was good. That must have been a 12-hour day. I don't know where the rest of the hours went in today because it just moved too fast. As our kids get older, I'm convinced they have a birthday every six months instead of 12 months. It just, they just keep getting older. and They're like, there's no way. It's been a whole year since we just celebrated a birthday. Time often speeds up. I know the math, I Googled even, I didn't understand it, but how you measure a second. I know it's supposed to be exactly the same all the time, but it certainly doesn't feel that way. Often it feels slow, even more often it feels fast. Psalm 90 was written by a man probably at the time much older than me, a man named Moses. And we don't give the exact time he wrote it, but as he was getting older, I think that he probably had a feeling like much of us have as we get older, time was going quickly. Time was speeding up and it was hard to slow down and to, to seize every moment. With this summer, we are spending time in the Psalms, which are these prayers, these hymns inspired by God himself, written, of course, by a human author, but prayed back to God. And one of the beauties of the Psalms is that the Psalms cover a whole range of different uh, experiences, but also emotions. And what's amazing about these psalms is that these are inspired by God. So God himself has ordained that Moses would, would write this kind of things down and feel these ways, or David or the other psalmist, and they would pray them back to him. And these psalms are, are raw. They are, they are filled with just kind of the, the, rea the reality of all of our human emotions and trying to express that back to God. Psalm 90 goes through a, a, a certain type of psalm. It's a certain type of psalm known often as a lament, praying for when something goes wrong. If you're familiar with the psalms, or just kind of think if you've heard a little bit about them, most, most often I probably think of the psalms as hymns, as praises, things, things praising God. And there's certainly lots of that in the psalms. And even like the lament we'll see today has, has praises in it. But the most frequent type of psalms Psalm in the book of 150 Psalms are Psalms of Lament. And that is encouraging that God Himself would ordain this to be the Bible this way because in our lives things go wrong, don't they? Things aren't always smooth sailing. 
And so we come to the Psalms and we can find a, a voice, find ways to express those things that just aren't right back to God. And that's probably one of the most important lessons you can get from the Psalms. Of all the different ranges of human emotions, whatever you may be feeling, the key is just bring that to God. The Psalms are full of all kinds of different things. And every time it's, it's aimed at, it's directed at God. It is Godward in all of its emotions. Psalm 90 is a lament that Moses is praying and was praying and then invites probably the whole congregation of Israel to pray and to sing with him. And this time that he's probably writing this in was sometime during the period of their wandering in the wilderness going toward the promised land. If you know the story of, of the Exodus, it's that God had delivered hundreds of thousands of people, His people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But because of their sin, they didn't go directly to the promised land. They had to do some wandering. And a whole generation died out in the desert. Moses is watching as a whole generation passes away before they can come into the promised land. And he's wondering about and groaning about how brief life is. People have passed away and he's groaning and saying, God, this is moving so fast. You have brought your people this far and yet our time is just going away so quickly. Maybe you feel that most acutely at, at a funeral, but there are any number of other moments in life where if we're honest, we can just feel how short and how brief our life is. As silly as it is, when, I have to, when Lori reminds me at the end of every month, hey, make sure you give us a new memory verse for the month. I'm like, it's time for a new month already? Where did June go? And it's already July. In big and small ways, we grieve and we cry out to God because time, time passes quickly. And Moses cried out to God about the brevity of life. And as he did, he knew God well enough to start with a, an encouragement, a word of hope, a word of comfort about who God is. He says in the opening of Psalm 90, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you have formed the earth uh, and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. As he begins to consider the brevity of life, he doesn't start with the brevity of life. He starts with God who is the author of life, which is a good place for us to begin. I want to remind you and encourage you, starting with where Psalm 90 does, that God is our eternal home. God is our eternal home. God is our dwelling place, the place where we live, the place you and I can call home. Imagining how comforting this must have been to a generation who were nomads. They were wandering in the desert. They had no place to call their own yet. They were living in a tent for some short amount of time, just a few days perhaps, and then picking that tent up and going a little further into the desert, a little further out of the desert, wandering about. To somebody who literally has no home, how comforting it was for them to look to our eternal God and, says, and say to Him, You are my God. You are my home from everlasting to everlasting. God has not, praise God, called many of us that I know of to a nomadic lifestyle where we are having to pick up our tent every day and every week and go live, physically live somewhere else. But in the spectrum of eternity, whether you are living in a tent for one night or a fancy brick home for a hundred years, it is still a very temporary place to live. 
whether Israelites back in the time of the Exodus or Americans in 2023, we all still need an eternal home. And God is that eternal home. He is the only place that, like uh, one commentator, Christopher Ash, he, he called it a, a fixed address in eternity. I like that. A fixed address. Having moved last year, anytime you move, you know how the, all, the, all the different hassles that come with moving. One of, the, one of the frustrating ones is trying to remember to update your address in all the different places you've got to update it, right? Like you think about it for the first little while, all the places, but sure enough, three months in, you get a piece of mail. Oh, I forgot to update that one. Six months in, another one. You can go years and you're like, I forgot to update my address there. Especially all the online shipping things. It's crazy. I'm thankful that I have one fixed permanent address. My home, our home as Christians, is God. God himself. It's been said many times, home is not a, a, a four walls and a roof, right? Home is, is people. Home is relationships. Home is, is a, a, a sense of, of joy and satisfaction and relaxing and rest and peace. And God is that home from everlasting to everlasting. God is the one who is eternal, not shifting with times, not flooded by waters, not blown over by tornadoes. God is the one who is eternal. Verse 2, Moses reminds us that God has been around from before the mountains were created. Before there were mountains, God was. In fact, He is the one who created those mountains. He says He forms the whole earth, and He has been there ever since before everything else existed. He is from everlasting to everlasting. That is eternity past. Try to get your mind around that, right? Before there was time, before anything else was made, God was. What did that look like? Your kids always ask. I don't know. But God was. And God is today. You can't get somewhere and say, oh, we, we skipped out on God. God's absent, whatever. And there never will be a time where God is not. You are not going to outlive God and nothing else will. God always has been and always will be. He is eternal. Praise God because nothing else in this world has always been and always will be. And He has offered you and me to make our home, our dwelling place with Him. If you were in the process of moving and looking for a new home and, and somebody said, hey, I've got a place I think that might be right for you. And they go through all, all the things and it's all the things on your checklist and, and it's all the things that you could ever hope for and imagine. It's, it's, and it's, it's within your budget. And, and you're like, this, this sounds amazing. And they said, yeah, we're really excited about it. You can, you can live there the whole day. You're like, wait, wait, hold on. The whole day? Why? That's a home. I, I want to like make a home there. If it's anything that we have that's just temporary, isn't really worth putting down. You're not going to get invested in that. God has offered you something far more than just a day or a lifetime. He's offered you an eternity with Him. He is where we make our home. He is our eternal dwelling place. Isaac Watts wrote a, a, a famous hymn based out of Psalm 90, O God, our help in ages past. And it starts this way, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Our God is our eternal home, a dwelling place from everlasting to everlasting. That's where Moses started in Psalm 90 
as a, as a word of comfort, a word of peace. The Lord is the first word in Psalm 90 verse 1. He is the, the God overall, sovereign overall. Excuse me. And God is the last word in verse 2. So he bookends this little introduction by making sure we're focused, our minds and hearts from the beginning are focused on God. And we're going to need that. We're going to need him a lot, even just to survive the rest of this psalm. Because he does not pull, hold back punches on just how brief and challenging life is. It is good news to remember God is our eternal home because the next reality that Moses focuses on and draws us to focus on in Psalm 90 is that our life is fleeting and troubled. Our life is fleeting and troubled. Moses certainly had in mind here uh, what God told Adam after his sin in the garden. God told Adam, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Moses says in 90 verse 3, Psalm 90 verse 3, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. From dust to, from dust, to dust. What a stark and troubling image, is it not? That may be you know, kind of common Christianese to you, but you haven't really thought about the, the just awfulness that that feels like. All the cells in your body, all the organs, all your tissues, your skin, your teeth, your eyes, your ears, all that we have, all that makes your body what it is, will one day just be dust. From dust to dust. One day all of our body, all of our complexities will return to the ground. Verse 10, the years of your life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. We might get seven or even eight decades, he says, if we're fortunate enough to have that much time. And then we're gone. Our life is fleeting. Ecclesiastes calls it a vapor, a mist. Especially in comparison to how God handles time, our time is rather brief. To, Mo to God, Moses writes in verse 4, a thousand years are like yesterday, like one 24-hour period. Talk about the minute and hour hands not working functionally. He says it's like, it's like a thousand years, just like a day. Actually, he says it's even like shorter than like. It's like a watch of the night. It's like the night shift for the guy who's in charge of standing on the, 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 the walls and looking out over the city. One shift of his job, that's like a thousand years to God. He can just see it just like that. What would take us more than 10 lifetimes is just an eight-hour shift to God. God can take a thousand years and wipe them away, he says in verse 5, like a flood. When a flood washes over something, it can, it can just totally destroy something and leave nothing there that was there before. And the spot doesn't even remember it anymore. It doesn't look anything the same. Or it's like how a dream, he says it's like a dream in verse 5. Something so, you can dream, you, we've all had this experience. You dream something in the middle of the night and it's just so vivid and it has so many details. And then by 10 in the morning, you can't remember what it was, right? God, God's word says that experience is like a thousand years to God. That's how fleeting and passing it is to God. Or he says it's like the, it's like the morning dew that, that brings the grass to life. But then the sun over the course of that one day withers that same, that same grass. So it is a thousand years. And that's ten times our lifetime. What is our life to God 
if that's what a thousand years is like to God. We are fleeting. It might feel a little bit uncomfortable to ponder that, but it would be ignorant of us and foolish of us to just stick our heads in the sand and pretend like we get to just live this life and do what we want to do and ignore the fact of our reality, a fact of our brief life. Every now and then it's good to be reminded of our brevity. One stanza in Isaac Watts, that same hymn, Our God and Help in, Our God and Help in Ages Past, says this, Time, like an ever-rolling stream, soon bears us all away. We fly forgotten as a dream, dies at the opening day. One of our uh, uh, high school seniors, Brandon, I think he leaves for college this Tuesday. Perry's on his way to college in just over a month. My daughter Lois turned nine in the spring, and it hit me, that's halfway to 18. I don't have a high schooler going off to college. That's, that's wait, wait, we're halfway there. Now we're halfway through the summer. So I'm like halfway, like Lois's life, and then do it again. And she's off to college or somewhere else, you know. I can't, that's just like, how did we get here? Our life is moving so fast. Verse 9 very honestly paints a picture of what the very end looks like. It says, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. That word can be translated groan. It's not a very beautiful picture of the end of life. It's just an exhale. And there's the end of our life. Life is fleeting. It is a vapor. It is here one day and gone the next. Do you feel that? Do you, do you sense that reality? If you've attended a funeral recently, you feel it. But it's easy for us to just kind of block that out and say, I, I don't want to think about that. That doesn't help me. And I'm going to just move on. Psalm 90 actually gets worse. <laughs> Not just that life is fleeting. That would be one thing. But it's fleeting and it's troubled. It's challenging. It's difficult. Verse 10, the years of our life are 70 or even by, strength, by reason of strength 80, yet their span. So how many ever years God gives you? He says the span is but toil and trouble. Thanks, Moses. Appreciate it, pal. Really helping me out today. We face toil, hard work, struggle. Struggle. <laughs> I've got str str struggles and trouble put together. Pains, heartaches, all the days of our lives. Some seasons, no doubt, are better than others, are they not? Where you just walk and enjoy and just things are going well. But even in those things, you've got to pay the bills. <laughs> even in the good times, you've got to continue through all the, the challenges and obligations. But more often than not, our life is filled with trials. It's filled with challenges. I thought about today, this, this week, I was thinking about this passage. We come into this world screaming and crying, don't we? <laughs> and that continues more often than we want to admit. We face bills. We face, we got mouths to feed. We got relationships to manage. We got weeds in the yard. Goodness, so many weeds. I don't know what to do with them. We struggle with our health and the health of those we love. We, we battle against Satan's constant temptations. It seems around every single corner, God, we're, we're looking, we want to follow God, and yet Satan's presenting another opportunity to go a path other than the Lord's. Everywhere we look, we can find pain if we want to in our lives or those around us. Life is full of all kinds of trouble. And Psalm 90 tells us where that trouble comes from. It's not good news. It's from us. Verse 7, For we are brought to an end by your, God, your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. We have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. That is, 
all of our sins, all the things we think and do against God and against His will are not hidden to God. We saw that at the end of Psalm 19 last week. Our sins are not secret to God. They are brought to the light. He sees our iniquities. Our, 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 all of our sin is visible to God. God, in his, He is righteous and holy, so He is right and just in being angry and wrathful against our sin. He has every right to judge us for the way that we have acted. And because sin has entered the world, we have this constant toil and struggle in this life. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, it brought brokenness into the world in every imaginable way. It broke Adam and Eve's relationship with God. It brought a separation between them and God. It hurt their relationship with one another, Adam and Eve, that their brokenness, that their, the sin affected the way they related. It affected the, the very, their relationship with creation. It wasn't supposed to be hard to get fruit from the ground, but now because brokenness had entered in, God told Adam, it's going to be a curse. It's going to be by the sweat of your brow that you're going to work in the land. And we feel that, don't we? And it broke how Adam and Eve viewed themselves. They covered themselves with leaves. They were filled with shame and guilt, brokenness all around, to God, to one another, to themselves, to creation, all the relationships. Sin had entered the world, and it broke everything. The world is broken, is it not? And we're responsible. We're responsible. It's our sin that brought brokenness into the world. Don't be misled by that. I'm not saying that every time something bad happens, there's a one-to-one correlation of some one bad you did leads to this one specific way that you're suffering. Certainly, there are consequences for your actions, but you can't place a a one-to-one on all the things. The reality is sin brought brokenness into the world, and now that is the air we breathe, is that we live in a broken world. And the Bible is very clear about where that came from. It comes from sin. It's our fault. It's humanity's fault. And we live under the wrath, under the anger of God. If we're just on our own, that's all we've got. Our sin, His holiness, all we have as His anger. Moses is struggling with that. He's got a whole generation of people trying to get into the promised land. God did all these great things for them. And all they got to do is just walk that way to the promised land. (laughs) And yet they grumble, they complain, they're upset because the the bread's not as yummy as they want. They want some garlic knots from the slice and all they get is manna. They're upset. And yet God, Moses is crying out to God saying, it's our fault. Our our life is is a mist. It's, it's, It's a breath. It's gone. Where are you? We need your help. This isn't how it's supposed to be. In one way, before we even get further in that, it's, it's comforting sometimes to know the Bible knows our experience, does it not? That Moses lived a life like you lived, like you live now. Moses experienced the kind of things you go through. When you're crying out, you're grumbling, you're complaining, you're struggling. God, why is life so brief? God, I miss my loved one. God, why is the heartache continue? Why is work so hard? Why is it so hard to pay the bills or... Why is my knee hurting? Or whatever it may be. God, why? Why is life so hard? It's comforting to know Moses lived like that. That he had to go through life like this. And even more comforting than the fact that Moses had to do it is that Jesus lived this life. Not in his own sin. He's the only one who lived and did not sin. But he lived in a broken world. So he faced all the same pains 
and grief and struggles and trials that we too face. One of the ways to, to come and see the Psalms in a, in a beautiful new light is to realize Jesus had the Psalms. Like the book of Romans wasn't written when Jesus lived, but the book of Psalms was. Jesus was a faithful Jewish man. He would have known many of these psalms by heart. He probably knew them all. He's Jesus, but you know what I mean? Like he, he would have sung these psalms back to God in the synagogue corporately as a faithful Jew. He would have sung these kinds of prayers, praying back to God, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Man, how powerful is that to think about Jesus singing God, his heavenly father. They have been in relationship literally since the beginning, before time, eternity past. And he sings back, you have been my dwelling place in all generations. He could say that in a much more real way than any of us could. And just like he could pray that part of Psalm 90, he could also pray about how painful it is to see God say to Lazarus, return, O children of man, go back to dust. Somebody he loved who died, lived a life of pain and toil and died. And Jesus wept. It is comforting to know that the Bible is real about your experiences and my experiences. And even more than that, that God himself, the creator of all of this, came and lived it with you and me. God himself knew, knew he does know now because he lived it. He knows what it is like to face pain and sorrow and grief and struggle and temptation and rejection. Jesus lived that like Moses did and like you and I do. We have a God who came and lived it. And as Moses brought this lament before the Lord, he essentially lays out these two trees, truths. God is eternal and our lives are short and fleeting. That's the reality. That's the struggle. And then in verse 12, he turns to a request. He changes kind of the, the way he's writing. No longer just describing reality. He's now asking for something. And if you were writing Psalm 90 and you had written the first 11 verses, what would you ask for? God's eternal. I'm struggling. I only get a few decades here at most. Now what? What do you ask for? Do you ask for more time? More money? Bigger house? I don't know. What, what do you ask for if God is eternal and we are living a hard and sinful, hard, short, brief life. Here's what Moses asked for, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. My prayer this morning is that God would teach you the same thing that Moses asked God to teach him, and that is number your days. Number your days. Days. Rather than asking for a longer life, a greater number of days, Moses asked God that he would teach him to number the days that he's been given. All of us have, a, 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 our, our days are numbered. So it is good to number them, count them, keep up with them, know what's going on, pay attention, be present in life. Don't waste it. Make your life count. Do what matters. Don't let life pass you by and don't spend your life on things that don't matter. Number your days. You only get a certain number of them. We don't know how many, but they are numbered. So number them. Pay attention to them. Don't wish your days away. I remember reading a, uh, a little short story, a little anecdotes type story in the Book of Virtues called The Magic Thread, where a little boy is frustrated about how 
school just takes so long. And he meets a, a woman, these are, of course, made-up stories, meets a woman in the woods who gives him this magic ball. And this ball has one little piece of thread sticking out of it. And she tells him, this, this, this thread that's sticking out, that is how much time you have lived so far on this earth. And any time you need some time to, to go by and to, to pass up, you just give a little tug on that thread and you'll skip ahead and you won't have to go through the things you're going through. And she said, but warning, once you pull it out, you can't put it back. <laughs> and so the boy gets to school the next day and the teacher's droning on and on. He's like, I can't wait for recess. And he pulls a little bit. <clears throat> oh, he skips ahead, gets to recess. You can imagine where this story goes. It's a long story, but every little piece, he keeps skipping this, skipping that, getting a little further along the way. He gets to the army, and it's fun for a little while, but he's got a, a bride back home, so he skips multiple years so he can hurry up and get back home and get to his new bride. And they have the kids, and the, 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 the nights are hard, so they skip ahead to the, the later point in the years so that the kids aren't always waking up in the middle of the night. And they keep skipping and skipping and skipping, and eventually he gets to the end of his life, and he has pulled all the thread. And he meets the same woman, he comes back and says, I, I, don't, I don't like this gift anymore. He realizes how much he's missed. And the story is she lets him go back to the beginning and redo it. But you get the idea. We get, we get one string. You keep pulling, you keep pulling, you keep wishing time away. And you can't put it back. Count your days. Number your days. We only have so much time. How are you going to make your days count? Moses asks God, teach me to number my days. Teach us to number our days. And then he gives you a real specific way to do that. I say there's two of them. Verse 14 and 15. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we, we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. He says this is how you, this is how you Delight in your, this is how you, you, you number your days. Be satisfied in the steadfast love of God. He isn't wishing for more time or less time. Moses is saying, I've got how much time I've ever got, but I'm going to count it. I'm going to be present in it. And the way I'm going to be present in whatever time I've got is that I'm going to find my deepest satisfaction, my deepest joy in knowing the one true God who is eternal. You see how this circles back to where he started? You are my eternal home and you have given me a steadfast love and that is going to be the satisfaction of my heart. If I'm going to rejoice, this psalm talks over and over again about all our days, all our days, verse 9, all our days, uh, our days pass away under your wrath, verse, four, verse 12, teach us to number our days. What do you do with all these days that we may rejo rejoice and be glad all, all our days? How are you glad when you are satisfied in the steadfast love of God. What is the steadfast love of God? It's the Hebrew word chesed. It is this picture of covenantal, forever, always, no matter what love. And if you and I know our hearts well enough, that is what we are all searching for. You and I are longing for a, a sense of security, a sense of peace, a sense of joy, of knowing that we are loved. Do you know that? Do you know that's what you're searching for? You may be searching, you may think you're, I'm searching for a greater career, a greater sense of accomplishment, a greater sense of, uh, of, of satisfaction in this world, whatever it may be. What you're actually looking for is for somebody to tell you, you're okay. You're good enough. You made it. You are, 
You are acceptable. That desire is for the steadfast love of the Lord, for the eternal God of all creation to say, you are loved. Do you know why you are loved? Do you know why you can have the steadfast love of God? It's because you're a good person. No, no, that's not it. It's not it. It's because God made a promise to people long before you and I existed. You could go back further, but we'll go back to Abraham. And he says, I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing. God gave a steadfast love promise to our forefathers and said, I'm going to keep loving my children. And on that promise and that promise alone is why you and I can be loved. Moses knew it. Moses knew the only thing that was going to satisfy him, the only joy he was going to have is in relationship with God. He says, let, let that be the satisfaction. The thing I want to remember today to make today count, to make it worthwhile, is to delight in my eternal heavenly Father, my eternal home. Delight and enjoy the steadfast love of God. Moses knew that. But you know what? Moses had no idea what was coming later. Well, he had little hints, but he could not have imagined the lengths to which God was going to go to show that steadfast love to his children. But you and I know it because we get the rest of the Bible. We got that God came into our reality, came into the suffering, came into the brief life with all the pain, all the struggles, all the toils. And he came by form of his son, who is God himself, lived a perfect life, the only one who didn't deserve all the toils and struggles of this life, yet went and then went and died in our place to prove the promise of God that He has a steadfast love for you and me. That's what we delight in. That's what we find joy in. We have joy in our relationship with God. That's how you number your days. You live your day with God. You live your day enjoying and delighting in God's promises. Moses prayed. He hinted at this. He had an idea of it. He prayed for the coming generations that God's glorious power would be shown to their children How's God going to show His power? He's going to keep His promises over and over again. Psalm 90 longed for it, and Jesus fulfilled it, showing the steadfast love to His people. And as it did, He offered one more way to number your days, one more way to enjoy and delight in God. Verse 17 says, Let the favor of, our, of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That's kind of an odd way for this psalm to end. He's talking about how brief life is, and how God's eternal, and I need His love, and I, I, want, I want to be with Him forever. So why would He talk about our work now, the work that we do? Does it even matter? I mean, we just have spent all this time, He's been reminiscing or thinking about contemplating how brief life is. Why would it even matter what you do with your hands? He says, establish the work of your hands. Why does it matter what I do with my hands? It's, it's going to be gone, right? It is, it's, it's so brief. And yet, that sentiment is not, Moses wasn't, you know, missing the picture. That comes up over and over again in the Bible, especially in places talking about eternity, like 1 Corinthians 15 that Caitlin read earlier. Death, oh, where is your sting? Oh, death, uh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's celebrating 
Sin can't beat me. Death can't hold me. Jesus came out of the grave so I get to go and be with God forever. So just forget about this life, right? No, it's not what he says. Just like Moses didn't say it. Verse 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I want you to hear this. Because God is eternal, because sin isn't the, the, it has been defeated, and because death isn't the end, your work, the things you do in this life matter. It's not the opposite way around. If there was no resurrection, if there was no life to come, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. And that's it. It's over. Instead, because there is a resurrection that Moses was longing for and anticipating this, this, this something greater than just the seven or eight decades or how much ever time you get here on the earth. Because there was something greater he was longing for and because that thing was accomplished by Christ, your work in this life matters. You can have an eternal impact by the things you do with your life, your hands, the way you live, live your life. It can have an eternal significance. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? What you do with your life can matter. So verse 17, establish the work of your hands. I'd say it just this way. Live a life that matters. Live a life that matters. What are you doing with your time? Where are you investing? Who are you investing in? What are you seeking after? What is your goal in life? What is the top priority? Is it an eternal goal? I'll tell you this. Everybody you see around this room is an eternal being or an everlasting being. We had a beginning, right? Your, your, your conception day was the day you, you came into existence. But after this life, you will live on, either eternally with God or eternally separated from God. So if you want, a, you want a, a, an easy way to figure out, is what I'm doing, does it matter for all of eternity? Well, one way, not the only way, but one way to ask is, are you investing in people? Because that's an eternal investment. If you're investing in people, you are investing in something that will last forever. For many of you, God's given other trades and gifts and talents, and you you are shaping and molding the world in in a good and positive way. And that can be such a good thing. But for many of us, we spend our time chasing things that absolutely will not matter when Christ returns. Are you chasing what matters? Are you living a life that matters? If you're living a life with Christ, being satisfied in Him, delighting in Him, and investing in eternal things, that's how you number your days. That's how you count the days and number them in a way that matters. C.T. Studd was a British missionary born in 1860. Spent his life dedicated to the Lord serving in China, India, and Africa. The mission organization he formed still exists today. And um, he wrote a poem that well captures the heart of Psalm 90. It's longer. I won't read the whole thing to you. But I have a few of the stanzas to go on the screen. Two little lines he writes. Two little lines I heard one day. Traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before His judgment seat. 
Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last.